Good to see you this Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We're on this series called Identity Theft, and we've been talking about the things that steal your identity. We talked about things like looking at models in a magazine, then you feel bad about yourself because you're trying to be them instead of yourself. We've talked about success, trying to use success to make you happy, and that can steal your identity. We've talked about a few things. Today, I want to talk about how the past can steal your identity, how it can mess you up in that way. Maybe you were called names when you were younger that were hurtful. Maybe there were some things that your parents said about you or a teacher said about you that were hurtful, but you've hung on to them, and it, fe- it affects the way you think about yourself. You view yourself in a certain way based on the things that others have said, and now you're defined by that in your own mind, in your own heart, by these hurtful things. Maybe it's something hurtful that somebody did to you, and it's defined who you are to yourself. And you hang on to those things. And the things that have happened in the past, they're paralyzing you today from being something different. Your self-image, the way you view yourself, is based on those things that other people said or other people did to you. And you need to move on to a new life, a new day, a new identity, but you get stuck there. You've accepted it. You've believed it. Maybe it's not things that other people have done to you. It could be things that you've done to yourself. Maybe you had a DUI or an affair. Maybe it's a failed marriage, some sort of financial collapse. Maybe you flunked out of school. Maybe you got kicked out of your house. Maybe you're a victim of abuse. Maybe you are an abuser. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe it's an abortion that still haunts you. There's all kinds of things that happen in our life that we see ourselves as that negative thing that we're struggling with. Maybe you were an inmate, and that still affects you. Maybe you were an alcoholic. Maybe you had a gambling problem, a drug problem, pornography problem. But whatever these things are, in your mind, it still defines who you are. So it's affecting how you live today. It's not something that I did in the past, I've worked it through, I've sought forgiveness, I've moved on. It's something that still affects the way that you think of yourself today, which means it's going to affect the way that you live today. It's going to affect the way that you react. So whether it be something that somebody did to you, names that you were called, things that you've done to yourself, these things in your past can steal your identity, can make you believe that you're one thing when God says something totally different. And you've been robbed. And you can be a Christian and believing in Jesus for years and years and years and still be robbed by your past, still be pickpocketed by your past. So we're going to look at these things. Number one in your notes is pickpocketed by guilt. Guilt's a really strange emotion. They asked some kids to explain the word guilty. A six-year-old girl said, a guilty conscience is a pot inside of you that burns if you're not good. They asked a seven-year-old boy, he said, a guilty conscience is feeling bad when you kick girls or little dogs. (laughs) Uh, Guilt is that thing inside of you that says, I've crossed the line. What I've done isn't good. Guilt can be a very good thing in your life. It can be a good thing because guilt can make you see yourself and say, wow, 
that's not good. In other words, if you do things that are harmful to others and you don't feel guilty about it, there's a major character flaw there. There's a heart problem. There's a callousness there that's not healthy at all that's very dangerous. Guilt can lead you to honesty because you feel guilty. You want to come clean. It can lead you to confess. It can lead you to forgiveness because I feel guilty. I need forgiveness. So you start seeking out what you need to get forgiveness. Guilt can cause you to make a better decision next time. If you do something wrong, you don't feel guilty about it, you'll do the same thing again. If it bothers you, it kind of helps push you into another direction so you don't do it again. Because nobody wants to keep doing something that's bothering them, that's tormenting them on the inside. Unresolved guilt isn't healthy. Unresolved guilt is damaging. Where you feel guilty, but you just suppress it. You just stuff it down. You never deal with it. You don't seek the forgiveness. You just try to hide it so nobody knows. Now, that's going to be miserable. That's going to be terrible in your life. Edgar Allan Poe, in the classic story, The Telltale Heart, he paints a main character who murdered somebody, and he buries them under the floorboard of his uh, living room or wherever he was. They're buried there. And this officer comes, and he gets in a cold sweat because he hears the dead person that he murdered, he hears their heartbeat. Thump, 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 thump. And he's sweating because in his mind, he's going crazy and he's thinking, maybe these people are hearing this as well and all this type of stuff. But it leads him to confess. But ultimately, as you read through the story, you understand it was never the heartbeat of the guy that was dead under the floorboard. It was his own guilt inside. It was his own heart beating so hard. Thump, 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 thump. It was his own conscience that was tearing him up, that was making him feel horrible. Guilt does that to you. You feel horrible about the things that you do, and you're either going to use that guilt to say, I'm never going to do that again, or you're going to try to stuff it, and you're going to get miserable. You're going to have a horrible life. King David... The story of David is an amazing story because he's a man after God's own heart. And he's one of the best characters that you find in the Bible. But when he blew it, he blew it so bad. Because he has an affair with this married woman. And she gets pregnant. So he's saying, oh, no, I've got to cover this up. So what he does is he puts her husband on the front lines in the military to make sure he gets killed. So that way... He can marry her, and no one would know that she was pregnant before he married her. They would think, oh, that came later. You know? So you talk, he really murdered the guy. It might not have been with his own hands, but he made sure that guy was the guy that's going to get killed. So he made sure of it. And he tried to stuff it down. He tried to act like everything is fine. He put on a front that everything was okay. But it was a horrible situation. On the inside, you can't live with yourself with that guilt and everything going on. And finally, it gets exposed and he repents. And here's what he says to God. <clears throat> it's in your notes. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You are the one I violated. You've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me, God, is fair. 
I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong sense before I was born. God, what you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new true life. And what he does is he wants a new start. He seeks forgiveness to get a new start. And even though there are consequences of his sin, there's a lot of horrible things that came out of that that affected him and his family. There were consequences of his sin, but God forgave him and gave him a new start. And I think if God can forgive that guy of his past, and I'm pretty sure that none of us have gotten so bad that we've, you know, probably nobody in here has killed people like this, you know. And if God can forgive him, <coughs> I think he can forgive you and I. I think he'll do the same thing for you and I. Secret sins cannot coexist with inner peace. If you want inner peace and you're harboring a secret sin, you can't have both. It's impossible. You can't have one with the other. So to have peace, I've got to get this sin out of my life. Dr. David Belgum, in his book, wrote, the name of the book is Guilt, Where Psychology and Religion Meet. He, in his book, he estimates that 75% of people in hospitals are in there for reasons more related to emotional problems in their life, like guilt, regret. He talks about how these things harm you physically. And so many physical problems that people have have to do a lot with, it, it stems from those things. Even the actions that you do stem from those things. A lot of the reasons why someone will have a drinking problem is it's stemming from regret, guilt, shame. You know, you, so you turn to something to ease that pain. So a lot of the, almost, he says 75% of our problems are based out of those emotional reasons that mess us up over just being physical. Then, <coughs> here's what he said. Has a quote here. Their physical symptoms and breakdowns are for many their involuntary confessions of guilt. See, they don't want to confess that they're guilty, but it's an involuntary confession. When you're feeling guilty and it starts harming you physically, it's an involuntary way to say, I'm guilty. Wouldn't it be better just to come clean and confess it and get healing and forgiveness and get health? than to hang on to these things until it makes you sick. It's been estimated that we spend 80% of our energy trying to stuff things. You know, don't cry. Keep it inside. Hide your feelings. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, People who cover over their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and forsake them, they will receive mercy. When you're covering over your sins, it says you won't prosper. You won't prosper. Why? I think you become your own worst enemy. It's hard to do a good job if I'm feeling guilty about life, if I'm feeling horrible about my life. But if I can confess those sins and get them out of the way and receive mercy, I can get on with my life. There are so many people that don't have a future because they haven't dealt with their past. If I don't deal with the past and let it go, I can't move on in the future. It's going to affect my future. I'm going to carry that with me. Psalms 32 says, Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven. You want your joy back, right? Whose sin is put out of sight. 
You want God to take that sin, whatever it is, and put it out of sight. Get your joy back. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You, come on, you become clean, you become honest, you're forgiven, you're cleared of your sin, you get your joy back. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. It was affecting him physically. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me because he, he wasn't coming clean, and he felt the pressure of that guilt, of that regret, of that shame. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. He was physically drained because of guilt. Guilt can physically drain you. You feel so guilty that you feel physically worn down by what's happening, in the, by what's happening emotionally. You want your joy back. You get your joy back by coming clean, confessing it, seeking forgiveness. What can I do to put things right? Please forgive me. Is there anything I can do to make up for it? Go into the person that you've done wrong and seeking forgiveness. The second thing you note is pickpocketed by shame. Pickpocketed by shame. Like I said, guilt can be a good thing. I put like an, aqua, an, an uh, um, acrostic together about the word guilt. You know, G-U-I-L-T. And it, guilt could be this. God's unique, intentional, loving treatment. Guilt could be like that. You feel guilty, and it becomes God's unique, intentional, loving treatment. How is it loving? You feel guilty, and you say, oh, wow, this is wrong. God, forgive me. God, help me to get my life in the right track. Guilt can cause you, that's the, the point, is you want to turn to God. You want to turn to God. You want to take what you did that wasn't right and seek God for forgiveness and try to make things right with people if you can, with the people that you've harmed. That's God's goal for you. But the thief or Satan, he also uses guilt. He also uses guilt. In his, it spells the word, uh, the guilt uh, spells out grief united in lifelong torment. Because here's how Satan works. He wants you to feel guilty about the things that you do, and he's never going to let you let go of it. It's going to be a lifelong torment. He wants you to take those things, and he wants to rob your identity, and he wants you to think, that's who I am. I am that lousy person. He doesn't want you to seek forgiveness. He wants you to feel guilty so you feel destroyed inside. Guilt used by God leads you to repentance. Guilt from Satan is going to lead you to misery. I'm going to tell you, no matter what you do, when you do the wrong thing, you're going to feel guilty. It's your choice if you allow that guilt to lead you to God for forgiveness or if you hang on to that guilt and choose to be miserable for the rest of your life. It's your choice. God has a preference for your life. God loves you, but it's your choice. Guilt is left, when it's left unconfessed and unforgiven, it morphs into an ugly step-cousin named shame. Shame takes guilt to a new level. Shame is more capable of stealing your identity and paralyzing you in the past. One person wrote this. A pervasive sense of shame 
is the ongoing premise that one is fundamentally bad. Shame means like, I'm a bad person, inadequate, defective, unworthy, or not fully valid as a human being. Lewis Meads wrote it like this. The difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for who we are. That's the difference. It's much deeper. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilty because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. And that's what's going to happen when you have guilt and you don't seek God for forgiveness. Before long, instead of you seeing guilt as something you did that needs to be forgiven, soon you're going to feel like it's you. It's you. A person that feels shame because he is something wrong. Or she is something wrong. Not I did something wrong. I am something wrong. That's where Satan wants to get you. Because he, he wants you to feel destroyed. That's why Satan's called the enemy of our soul. Satan's called the thief. He's called the father of lies. He's called the accuser. He's trying to accuse you. He wants you to feel like because what you did in the past that you've already asked God to forgive you for, that you're still a loser today. That's what he wants. What you did in the past, you're still a drunk. You're, you know, you're stupid. You're ugly. Nobody loves you. That's what Satan wants you to feel today about things that you've done in the past. Even though you've gone to God and sought forgiveness, and God, you know, you, you've come clean. You've done what you could to make amends with other people. Even though you've done that, he wants you to still feel like you're a loser today because of what you did before. God wants to forgive you. God wants to make you feel new, a new start. It's not just turning over a new leaf. It's turning over a new life, a fresh start. So here's God's solution. First, you can put in the word grace, the word grace. Shame is a dangerous enemy to us, right? Because shame makes me feel like I'm wrong. I, there's something wrong with me. But shame also has a dangerous enemy, and that's grace. Grace is the enemy to shame. Shame tells me I'm defective, but God's grace tells me I'm valuable. You look at God, you look at sin, you say, oh, I'm defective. You look at God, and he says, you're valuable. It's like night and day difference. You look at shame or sin, and it's a weapon to make you fear judgment. Oh, God's going to strike me down. But you look at God and his grace, it's a weapon used to give me relief because now I understand God loves me unconditionally. But God, you still love me even though I did this? You still love me even though I did that? And like I always say, sometimes that's hard for us to believe that God can still love us unless you've had children. Because your children have done this, your children have done that, and it never takes away your love for your kids. How much more so... Is God going to love you even though you've blown it, even though we've messed up? Shame says, you're flawed. You're unacceptable. That's what it makes you feel. Grace says, though I'm flawed, I'm priceless. I'm priceless. God thinks so much of me that he shed his own blood to die for me. Wow. You know, God did that for you? That's priceless. Shame believes <clears throat> it's the opinion of others that matter. 
So anybody that hasn't forgiven you, that holds it against you, it's their opinion that matters. So you're always going to be the loser. But grace believes it's the opinion of God that matters. So God, I've asked you to forgive me. I did everything I could to make amends with everybody else. And God says, you're forgiven. You've done your part. So it's his opinion that matters. Shame claims I must be perfect to, be, to have approval. Grace claims I have approval from God even though I'm not perfect, even though I'm, I mess up. Shame makes us hide because when you feel shame, you hide. You certainly don't reveal what you're feeling shamed about. Grace sets you free because you know that you're not characterized by a mistake that you made. It's a mistake. And the mistakes you made may have honestly been your character in the past. You say, well, it really was my character. You don't know, Jimmy. That was really who I was. But the whole point of God's forgiveness is that's what I was. It's not what I am today. I've changed. I'm a new person. God's changed me. I, I'm not the same guy I used to be. Things have happened in my life. Shame makes you want to hide. Grace sets you free. Shame is the language of the thief that wants to steal your identity and say, I've stolen your identity. You're a loser. That's who you are. Grace is the language of Jesus that says, I want to forgive you, give your identity back. You're a child of God. That's your identity. You're not the loser. You're a child of God. And if you keep that shame, you believe you're a loser. If you believe God, if you take what he says, you believe you're a child of God. So you take your guilt, your sin, your past, you get honest with God, you come clean with him, you come clean with other people that you've harmed, and you put things right, and God says, okay, you're forgiven. And God's grace restores you. Look at 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, this is talking to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. That's what God's in the business of doing. <clears throat> God's not in the business of wanting you to feel guilt so he can kick you when you're down. God's in the business of when you do something wrong and you feel that guilt, he's in the business of saying, come to me. I want to forgive you and give you a new start. Let's get going again. Don't run from God. Run to him. He's the one that's going to forgive you. In Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, it says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And this is the verse that we've been looking at a lot uh, in this series. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. That's what God's about. God wants you to know how wide, how long, how deep his love really is. And that's seen through his unfailing love, his grace, his forgiveness. That's the God of the Bible. Look at Isaiah 43, 25. Excuse me. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. That means your sins. For my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That's what God says. We're hanging on to these sins that we've done, something that we've done wrong. Or something that somebody else has said about us as a kid, and we feel like a loser because of what they said. We're hanging on to these things, and God is saying, I don't remember that. 
I've forgotten about those things. If God has moved on, who am I not to move on? God's not holding it against you. Isaiah 44, 22. <clears throat> God says, I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Why is he saying return to me? Because when we feel shame, we hide. We run from God. We're afraid he's going to condemn us. God's mad at me. So we avoid church. We avoid God because we feel so guilty about life. And then God is turning around saying, I swept, I swept that away. I scattered that out of here. Return to me for I paid the price to set you free. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to continue down that route. I paid the price to set you free. Micah seven nineteen. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. God doesn't trample you under his feet. When you have shame, you think it's you. When you have shame, you think God's going to trample me under his feet. That's not what it says. He says he tramples your sins under his feet and throws them into the depth of the ocean. In other words, he's saying, I've, I've, I've taken care of. You know the sin that you think has ruined you for life? That marks who you are? Come to me, I'll forgive you. Not only will I forgive you, I'll trample it on my feet and throw it into the deepest part of the ocean. In other words, I'm getting that sin totally out of your life. That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to strike you down. In Psalms 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far, I mean, sorry, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It's saying, just keep going that direction. As far as you can go that way, and as far as you can go that way, that's as far as he, you know, he's, he takes your sin away. He removes it completely. Hebrews says, I'll forever wipe the state clean of their sins. He didn't just say he's wiping the state clean. He said, I forever, forever's a long time. Forever's a really long time. I wipe it clean forever, forever. That's forever. That's what God does. Romans says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You're not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus, <clears throat> you're never going to be good enough to pay off your sins. That's why you feel horrible about yourself. Then you go to Jesus, and God comes to earth as a man. He takes all the sins upon himself. He dies paying the penalty. He rises again. It's conquered. It's gone. You're forgiven. Because you can never pay it off yourself. He pays it off for you. You're clean. It's over. New start. But what about all those things? New start. But I remember this. I don't remember that. God says, I don't remember. Well, I remember I did this. God says, I don't remember. It's a new start. You're clean. Let's go. Don't stay in that rut of the past. God forgives you to give you a new start. God wants you to understand who he is. We see that in Scripture and grasp that truth and hang on to it. God has an unfailing love that says, I know what a mess you've been. Come to me with a humble heart, confess it, deal with it, get forgiveness, and move on. Don't stay there. 
When you stay in that guilt, it doesn't make you a healthier dad. When you stay in that guilt, it doesn't make you a healthier husband. It doesn't make you healthy at work. It is the opposite. It ruins your marriage. When you're, when you're feeling horrible about yourself, it ruins your marriage. When you're feeling horrible about yourself, it ruins your relationship with your kids. When you're feeling horrible about yourself, it affects your work. That's what Satan wants to do to you. Why does God want to forgive you? Because he wants to give you a good life. When you feel forgiven and set free and feel good about yourself, it is going to have a positive effect on your marriage, with your kids, at work, whatever you do. <clears throat> so you release it to God's grace. The unfailing love of God forgives you. It gives you a fresh start. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Do you see that? That's what he's doing. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. <clears throat> Some of us, we know our old self. We know those old patterns. You can get there in the middle of the dark, no problem. You've been there so many times, getting there is easy. You're just one step away from going down the wrong path. You've been there so many times, you're just one step away from being right back there. But a transaction has taken place. When you gave your life to God, when you gave your life to Jesus, he rescued you. He died on the cross for you. And he's moving you from darkness into the kingdom of light. Your identity has changed. At that moment, you became a child of God. So, the moment I became a child of God doesn't mean I really get it here. Do you know what I mean? So I, I can be my worst enemy. In my head, I'm still the loser. You know what I mean? But I gave my life to God. I'm now a child of God. But in my head, I'm still hanging on to the past instead of believing who I am. I'm now a child of God. You're in a new place. That's who you used to be. The old is gone. The new has come. So here's the solution. When you give your heart to God, that's the day that you said, whenever that day was, you said, okay, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. When you gave your heart to God, it doesn't mean you gave your mind to God. Your mind to God. So here's God's solution. Renew your mind. You have to change the way you think. You can give your heart to God that fast. In fact, that's what you did. The moment you said, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my heart to you. I'm going that way. That fast. It's just a decision. Boom, it's done. You're God's child. Boom, that fast. But renewing your mind is going to take the rest of your life. The change in the way you think is going to take the rest of your life. In fact, that's why nobody lives sinless after they give their life to God. You give your heart to God. Boom, I'm yours. But the rest of your life, you're going to be battling your mind. It's about renewing your mind. It's about taking captive every thought. So now you have to set your mind on the things of God. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to clean your mind. This is one of the reasons we read the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, God's using that to clean your mind, to change the way that you think. He's, remo he's renewing your mind to the truth of God. If you don't renew your mind to the truth of God, you can be a Christian and still believe in your head that you're that old person. And because you believe in your head you're still that old person, what lifestyle do you think you're going to live? 
you're going you're gonna to continue down that old road. And you're going to be like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I keep messing up. Because what's happened is I haven't done things to change the way I think about me. And just because you give your life to God in faith doesn't mean that you don't feel guilty anymore. You can 100% believe it and you're saved. Like, I'm in God's family now. But why do I still feel guilty? Because apparently you haven't dealt with that guilt. Why do I still have all this bitterness towards somebody else? Because you haven't dealt with the bitterness. That's the renewing of your mind. That's going to be a lifelong process of growing and maturing and living out what God's created you to be. When you come to Christ, your identity is forgiven. You've been washed. You've been accepted. You're loved. That old contract has been bought up. It's been ripped up. It's been nailed to the cross. There's a new day and there's a new you. You're a new person. It's 100% done in every area except your own mind. In every area except your own mind. Jesus did it. He died on the cross. You're done. You're clean. You're a new person. Everywhere in the whole universe, you're brand new except for one place in your own mind. If you don't renew your mind, you'll find yourself continuing to live a lifestyle that you, that you hate. So you read the Bible. You pray. You go to church. You do things that helped get your mind in the direction where it needs to be. There's a great guy. He had a relapse. He said, you know, I've been sober for a long time, but I relapsed. But it just doesn't feel right because that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am anymore. To me, that was like great success. That was great success right there. Because that, the guy in the past because he really believed that's who he was, when he would relapse, he would get stuck in that. He couldn't get out. He couldn't get out. Now he's at the point where when he messed up, he realizes this isn't who I am. And he got right back out. Because your mind affects you. If you believe that you are that person, then you're just being who you are, and you're stuck, and this is just who I am, and, and you can't get out of it. If you believe what God says about you, you mess up, and then you think, wait a minute, that's not who I am. And it's easier to get out of it, and you're less likely to mess up. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to become sinless. You're not. For the rest of your life, you're going to battle your own mind, your own temptations, your own flaws. You're going to battle those for the rest of your life. But when you understand who you are in Christ, you start winning that battle. You win the battle when you know who you are. When you allow your mind to be cleansed, so you start to renew your mind. The battle is for your mind. There's a Bible verse that says, as a person thinks, so he is, or so she is. It's a battle for your mind. If I want to live a new way, I have to think differently. Here's what Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You're not conforming to this world anymore. You're moving on. Don't fall into that same old rut. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put yourself on a new path. Those old ruts that defined who you were, maybe it's a relationship that defined who you were. Like my other messages that I gave, people are looking in the mirror and that's defining what they think of who they are. Or how successful they are in business, that defines their self-image and who they think they are. And all these things that we do, a relationship, you think that's going to complete you and that defines who you are. All those things are going to ultimately lead you down the wrong road. You're going to end up feeling horrible about yourself. 
You need to know who you are by your relationship with Jesus, who he is in your life. And when I've got him in the center of my life, I'll probably end up taking better care of my body anyway because my head's straight. I'll probably be more successful at work anyway because my head's straight. I'm not doing it to feel good about myself. I'm doing it because I want to work hard, and, but my head's in order. I'll probably be better in my relationships because my head's on straight. I'm not in the relationship for her to make me feel good. I'm in the relationship to bless her because I already feel good because I believe what God said about me. I believe I'm a child of God. I feel good about myself. I can be in the relationship and put her first. But if I don't feel good about myself, I'm going to be in the relationship to get something out of it to make me feel good about myself. And I'm manipulating her. No one can live up to those standards. I can't live up to my own standards. How am I going to make somebody else live up to my standards? It's guaranteed failure. So now when I go into my relationships, instead of screaming and yelling at each other, it's like, how can I serve her? What, I, what can I do to bless her? Because I feel good about myself. My identity is healthy. So when my identity is healthy, it's easy to bless the other person. It's easy to be quick to listen and slow to speak. When my identity is healthy, I don't look in the mirror and feel horrible about the way I look. I don't look at a beautiful woman in a magazine or, for my case, maybe some, you know, bodybuilder type of guy or whatever someone thinks looks good and say, wow, I, I look at them and think, wow, I'm such a loser. I look horrible. Because a magazine doesn't define what you feel about yourself. When you're at work, you're not comparing yourself to what everybody else is doing to feel good about yourself. You're trying to be the best you that you can be because you already feel good about yourself. And it doesn't cause you to be apathetic. When you really know who you are in Christ, it makes you better. You, you go for it because you believe in a big God for big things. So you're willing to try something bigger. Instead of chasing that American dream, you know, have this dream to be everything that God meant for you to be and go for it. God wants to give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He wants to give you those things that are going to bless your relationships. It's going to bless everything you do. Now, I do have some Thanksgiving verses in here, okay? It is Thanksgiving weekend, right? And these verses go hand in hand with what we're talking about. Look at Colossians 2, 6 and 7. And now, just as you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to him. Let your roots go down deep into him and draw up nourishment from him so you'll begin to grow in faith, strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. So it's saying, get with Christ. You know, get to know him. Get rooted with him. You do that with God's word. <coughs> Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. And that's what happens. When you get your identity in God, you're thanking God. It brings thanksgiving. It makes this holiday really come alive. Look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the words of Christ in all their richness dwell in your heart and make you wise. So when you're reading the Bible and you're getting God's word into your life, you know, let that build you up. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. All the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. And why can you give thanks to him? Because when you're allowing what he says about you to build your identity, 
to decide, who am I? When you listen to what Jesus says about you, it builds you up. You believe that, man, with God, I can do anything. It changes you for the good, and you're thankful to God. Those are the things that we can do to help us renew our way of thinking. James 1.22 says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The whole point is to hear these things and to practice them so it changes who I am. It changes me from the inside out. See, there are some things that God will not do for you. God will not let the word of Christ dwell in you richly for you. I have to actually read the Bible to get God's word in me. I have to do, I have to do it. God's not going to do it for me. Like, you know, you've never opened the Bible, but he just, you know, through the through a miracle of God, he's teaching you his word. He will not do it for you. He will not let your roots go down deep into Christ for you. He won't do that for you. That's something you have to do in your time with God. Get really rooted in there. He will not sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs for you. He's not going to sing it for you. It's up to you. The worship team is not singing for you. Let me tell you what. We're all, they're just leading us. Here's what worship is supposed to be. That you're not the audience, and they're the singers. Okay? That's not what worship is. He's the audience. God's the audience. There's just one person in the audience, God. And they're leading us to sing to him. You're not singing to me or anybody else. You're singing to God. That's what worship is. If you don't understand that, what you do is you're not singing the songs to God. It's not a prayer from your heart to God. You just watch the performance and you say, that was good. That was good. Way to go. Good job. Good job, guys. Thanks for singing for us. Way to go. Well, they're not singing for you. They're, They're leading you to worship God and sing to him. When you understand that, it changes your whole perspective of what worship is. That's why everybody sings. That's why everybody sings. Because you're not singing. They're leading us to sing to that audience of God. But he will not sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs for you. You have to do it. It says, I mean, another thing is, he does not put the full armor of God on for you. You have to do that yourself. He will not take up his cross and deny himself for you. It's something that you have to do. You have to say, okay, I'm putting him first. I'm going to do whatever it takes. He will not renew your mind for you. God will not change the way you think for you. So I've got to read the Bible, and and I've got to do those things. I've got to go to church. I've got to do the things that are changing the way I think because he won't do it for me. So if I'm not getting those influences in my life, I won't change. I'll still think the old way. And I'll still live the old way. I give my life to God, but I don't get the benefit of it on earth. I don't get the benefit. There's a lot of people that give their heart to God, but they don't get the benefit of it. Because they're still miserable. They're still so guilty about everything. And you're already forgiven. They're still so angry about everything that people have done. And we're saying, well, God forgave you. Let them go. Forgive them and get on with your life so you can have a happy life. They're miserable today. But they put their faith in Jesus. Well, fantastic. Have a miserable life for 50 or 60 years and go to heaven. Why not have a great life for 50 and 60 years and go to heaven? My preference is a great life over feeling miserable. I don't want to feel guilty and hateful for the rest of my life. You take what God did 
for you, it, but it's something you have to do. He's done it for you, but he can't change your mind. One of the best ways to renew your mind is memorize verses. I've got a few verses here that are good, good starting verses. Uh, Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Can you imagine if you have that verse memorized? That's a good one, right? Like you're in the midst of something, you feel like giving up, and then you think, wait a minute. But I believe different because your mind is different now. I believe I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So you don't give up and you, okay, let me try again. Uh, how about 2 Th- uh, Timothy 1.7? For God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Have you ever been like, oh, you just fear something that you have to deal with. Oh, and you have that fear. And then you say, wait a minute, that's not who I am. Because God didn't give me a spirit of fear. He gave me one of power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline. And you believe that. And you say, wait a minute, I'm going to get up and tackle this thing. I'm not afraid. In 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Have you ever had, you, you have so much anxiety, you can't sleep at night because you've got this on your mind, that in your mind, you don't know what you're going to do with it. And then you say, wait a minute, that's not who I am. I believe this verse I memorized, uh, cast all your anxieties upon God because he cares for you. So instead of you being worried, you say, okay, God, this is your problem. You take care of it. I'm going to go to sleep. And you have a good night's sleep. How about this in Romans 8.1? We read this earlier today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You feel guilty and condemned about things you did. Then you think, wait a minute. That's not who I am. Because the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I gave my life to Christ. I'm, I'm forgiven. Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. You feel like, oh, you've done something and God's left you. Well, he just said here that he would never leave you. He would never abandon you. So God did not leave me. Maybe I'm trying to leave him, but he's not leaving me. He's sticking with me. Here's another one. Romans 8, 37. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. So you feel like you're a loser, and then you say, wait a minute, I'm not a loser because it's God who told me I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. So with him, I can conquer things. I'm going to get up and keep going. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Maybe the world has got you down, and you feel like, oh, I don't have a chance. And, but you say, no, 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 I, that's not what I believe. I think differently. Greater is he that's in me than he is that's in this world. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to win this battle. What you think about yourself is what you'll do. If you renew your mind and you start believing the things that God says about you, watch what you accomplish. But if you believe the lies that Satan says, you're a loser, you'll never amount to anything. Do you know what? If I feel like I'm a loser, I'll act like I'm a loser and I won't try. Because why would I try if I'm going to lose anyway? Why would I try if I'm going to lose? Right? I just wouldn't do it. Why waste your time? If you believe what God says about you, you're a new man. You're a new woman. Take what God says and let it get inside. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Become friends with God. He is already a friend with you. How you say? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we can be put right with God. He's your friend. He loves you. He thinks the world of you. Don't let your own mind sabotage what God's doing in your life. Don't let your own mind sabotage the good that God wants in your life. We began this series talking about in life we try to put a square peg in a round hole and it doesn't fit. And we have this hole in our heart and we're trying to put things in there that don't fit. That emptiness can only be filled with Christ. 
God is the only person that can fill you up on the inside. We also use a verse in John 1.12, and we said it's like a math equation. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gives the right to become the children of God. So we see believe plus accept equals become. And what it's saying is, I'm not believing in myself. I'm believing what Jesus did for me. He's the one that died on the cross. He's forgiven me. And I just accept it as a free gift. I believe that God came to earth as a man, paid off the penalty of my sin, so I'm forgiven. I believe that. And I accept it as a free gift. God, your forgiveness is a free gift, and now I become. Because belief plus accept equals become. Now I become the child of God. Anybody can be a child of God if they want to. Don't leave here today without knowing that you belong to God. Let's pray. Lord, and you can pray this along with me silently in your own heart. Lord, by faith, I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay off the penalty of my sins. And by faith, I've accepted it as a free gift of your grace. Lord, so thank you for allowing me to become your child. And Lord, I want to make a commitment to do everything I can to grow and renew my mind so I can live out the life that you have in store for me, so I can have the blessings you want. I know that I have the ability to be my worst enemy. And Lord, I want to change the way I think so I can be the man or the woman that you've called me to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.